Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Meskel, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. Like and subscribe. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We have something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Neil Bruce, and I'm joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how are you today? I am living the metaphorical dream today. How about you, boss? Yeah, I can't complain. Uh, I don't really want to wake up to continue with your metaphor. <laughs> In saying that, it is a bit of a dream at the moment. There's there's lots of football on on both sides of the Atlantic. We just had an international window on the men's side. We've got a women's international window coming up. So, who better to talk to than a writer from the States? He's based in D.C. It is the one and only Mr. Charles Broom. Charles, how's it going? I'm very well. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Indeed. Now, Charles, we can find you on Twitter at CBoom, C-B-O-E-H-M. And when we go to said Twitter page, you will see two flags there. Now, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> those flags are the flags of Grenada and New Zealand. Am I right? You're correct. Yes. So, the only thing I can think of that links those two nations is cricket. But they, they're <laughs> <Colonialism>. also... <laughs> well, actually, the Commonwealth, Royal Britannia and all that. I, I, indeed. But they, they were a part of your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, it's... Um, it's a... I, it's just a small part of my uh, – uh, a couple of chapters in, in my story, I guess. Uh, I, uh, I lived abroad in New Zealand um, during my university days and uh, on a work abroad program and um, had some life-changing experiences there. And then a few years – or I guess not long uh, – a year or two later, uh, I joined the United States Peace Corps and lived abroad for two years in, uh, in Grenada tiny little island that um, that we Yanks invaded a, a couple decades back but is uh, there's a whole lot more to the story than that but um, but that's the the shorthand I guess and and had uh, another set of life-changing experiences I, I think it's probably a big factor in how I wound up working in the soccer field um, just experiencing the the universality of the sport and and how it could build build bridges and and break down barriers and and so forth. I did, didn't really think about it th- that way at the time, but um, but but in retrospect, that that was key. And uh, played and coached down there a bit as part of my work, and um, and, and came back to the states in uh, 2000. This is this is going back. I'm in the aughts here. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Uh, but uh, but came back and and uh, picked up soccer writing as a side hustle, and then uh, after several years, uh, was fortunate enough to be able to shift into it full time. There we go. Just a quick one. Which position did you play on the pitch? Uh, you know, I was a, a a bit of a utility man. Um, probably, probably key. Uh, Rich's shorthand for not being that good at any particular thing. But uh, but I'm left footed, so I played a lot of left back, uh, left flank. Um, played the six as well as as an, an probably my favorite position, uh, which I picked up a little bit later in life. There we go. And 
you right left-handed? Yes, I'm full-on left-handed. There we go. Just like, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's four or five of this last six U.S. presidents are left-handed. Do you know that, Justin? Yeah, I mean, being a left-handed gentleman myself, I, uh, I'm i inclined to follow anyone who's left-handed on social media and their lives. There you go. So, <laughs> make sure you follow Charles. Now, Charles... I just did. <laughs> Excellent. So, you, you mentioned your, your writing, and you write about the world game, the beautiful game. Tell us a little bit more about that and how that came about. Yeah, so, um, it's... Not too sexy, I guess, but uh, I just um, I, I sort of got lucky to to catch on um, early on. This is um, going back to the year two thousand four. I was transitioning into the workforce uh, after I moved to DC and, and helped out my sister with her uh, her two young kids at the time. Uh, that was part of the reason I moved here. And then I was just applying for jobs, trying to trying to get a job uh, anywhere I could, and. Uh, the old ESPN soccer website, so some of your listeners may recall, if they're, if they're mm. of a certain yes. age, it was called SoccerNet. And I responded to a posting they had on there. Uh, they were looking for writers in MLS cities. This was a much different MLS. Uh, this was, I think, back when they were down to 12 teams or thereabouts. So, so uh, long story short, I, I was able to catch on with a, a part-time gig covering DC United. Uh, it was kind of like a. I happened to get a job, a nine to five, in a in a communications firm that around the same time, and they let me uh, slip out for a long lunch to go and, and go over to, to the the training sessions and and media availabilities, and then I was covering the the matches on nights and weekends, and um, and sort of got a got a taste for things and and did that part time for a while, <clears throat> and then in 2012. Um, I was able to uh, to shift into uh, you know kind of stitch together a number of of uh, part time gigs with a couple of websites and sort of just dive into it in f- full bore and and here we are somehow I'm still scratching out a, a living uh, ten years later. Props to you, sir. And ESPN soccer net that takes me back. I mean, we still see the <laughs> likes of Yanush and Tommy on the screen, but ESPN soccer net soccer net the website I was. As the halcyon days of the World Wide Web, yeah, people people probably laugh at it today, the, the the kids. But back then, it was like you had to have net or cyber or web or you know something like that in 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 your name if you were a, a proper internet uh, endeavor of any sort. So uh, so uh, yeah, actually, what is now MLSsoccer.com was back then MLSnet.com. Yeah, I remember that too, Justin. This is probably before your time, but <laughs> all good. Definitely is, but that's okay. <laughs> Again, badly dating ourselves here. That's okay. That's okay. Um, you've been around the game for quite a while. For some of our newer fans who haven't exactly been a part of MLS since the beginning, what are some really cool changes you've seen from MLS back in the Dizay versus now? <laughs> um, I mean, one of my personal favorites is the penalty kicks. Mm. Those are those are kind of interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I wish I could have covered that. They they had just gone away from that a couple of years before I started covering the league. The um, the NASL style shootout or the thirty five yard kicks. Uh, you know, my friend and colleague Pablo Maurer, who's now at the Athletic, has written repeatedly about this, uh, and he's talked to a bunch of people, everyone from Johan Cruyff on down, in terms of um, world stars who've come here and experienced that, whether NASL or early days of MLS. Many of them. I've spoken highly of it and think it's actually a preferable to to the uh, the traditional penalties from the spot. And, and I'm I'm probably probably of, of a similar mindset, but uh, that was sort of got flushed in the toilet right around the time MLS wanted to 
move closer to the global norm. And uh, a little bit of baby loss of that with the bathwater there, I think. But I, I totally understood why they did it. But it actually is, I think, a more interesting test of skill. So maybe it'll come back someday. But um, it doesn't look good at the moment. Uh, and then the, the first thing that comes to mind, and it may sound simplistic, but the quality of play. I mean, I, I know that any kind of conversation about MLS – almost inevitably shifts into questions about the quality, right? Like, would it could it be better? Should it be better? What if they spent more money? What if there was none of the spending limitations that are designed to keep that in line, but but arguably sort of limit MLS compared to the big European leagues? And and that's all understandable. And, and it, MLS will sort of always be, I think, stuck in that space between uh, the world – the world's game and the global norms and, and the North American norms. But having watched a lot of MLS over the years, uh, the, the quality of play has made incredible leaps and bounds. And that's a combination of factors. Of course, money is a big a big element of it, just spending more on the squads and um, you know lifting some of the limitations, uh, but also becoming more relevant, becoming more respected, uh, becoming a place where a broader spectrum of players from elsewhere – um, will you know want or or are attracted to to continue their careers, and then of course the the domestic player pool is improving and getting you know bigger and deeper. It, it's a number of things, but I can tell you that um, the quality has come a long, long way. It definitely has. I've seen highlights from back in the day where it's uh, looked a little rigid, a little college-ish, and now we have people scoring Olympico goals. And it's just uh, – it's nice to see. It's really good to see. Also, a little pat on the back for uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic there when he came to LA Galaxy, and then after that he went to – to uh, where did he go? Syria. And he was saying, he goes, yeah, MLS is no joke. Like, it's actually tough. Even Higuain said that. He thought he was going to come in with a cigarette in his mouth. And he's like, I can't. These people are too talented. So we're kind of an uncut gem, and I'm glad that people are starting to fear us a little bit. One might say that Higuain came in with something else in his mouth. But anyway, I will let the one slide. <laughs> well, what I would say is 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 also the there's um, – the, it has a character now. MLS has a um, has a sort of a an identity – that it, it's such a big league, right? I mean, it's it's hard to make the, the same generalizations that you could maybe make about a, a smaller league in a smaller country, size wise, like like the Premiership or or La Liga, because now we're up to you know, time and again the size of those leagues, just in terms of the teams and and all the different diversity that brings. Um, but there is a whatever the game now. I think there's a minimum level of, of physicality uh, that that you see in almost every MLS match. That is now it's you know it's 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 got what's gotten better is that it's been paired with um, levels of technical ability and and tactical maturity that that maybe weren't there a couple decades ago, but no matter who you are, even if you're Messi, honestly, like if Messi comes, there is a learning curve when you deal with the 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 athleticism across the board. I think is is really up there and and uh, whether. I'll just say if you, you can you can outthink that you know and you can outthink the young legs <laughs> and the uh, mm-hmm. that sort of North American approach to 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 fitness and performance and everything, um, but you have to be really really good to do it. And that's actually one of the one of the more interesting things for me is when you see someone like Iguain come and and whenever if and when Messi comes, it'll be similar. You know to see how these guys um, sort of get the measure of the league and how they adapt their particular skill sets to the just hustle and bustle uh, and the intensity, the physical intensity that, that comes with, with, with sort of the price of admission now. 
That is a very true fact. Also, keep in mind too, it when Messi and I don't think Ronaldo is going to come over anymore after signing with uh, El Nasser. But I mean, if Messi does come over, I do feel like he's going to have a bit of a learning curve in the sense that also his age would be a huge factor. Yeah, I mean, and look, I I don't want to sound like I'm down on Messi. I mean, he 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 will master this league, you know, whatever the case. I mean, his brain is just so advance, right? I mean, the the way that he works, the way that he processes information, I have no doubt that he'll come here and 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 will tear it up sooner or later. Uh, but again, there's any number of examples of of players uh, who, even if they're elite global stars, you know, they they still have to have a collective around them. They have to um, be put in a position to succeed. You know, there's so much that goes into it these days, and um, sometimes it feels like there's a sort of a lose lose situation that, that the league finds itself in where if if a um, if a top player comes and succeeds it's it's uh, oftentimes sort of marginalized well look at that like they they came over and and bossed it right someone like Zlatan for example from day one just doing amazing stuff um, and then if a uh, if a top player comes and flops then the sort of it's easy to mount a, a dismissive equally dismissive argument about the you know the inability to for, of a player of that caliber to sort of you know to, to play their game, right? I mean, this was kind of like the Pirlo and, and Gerard conversations kind of touched on this stuff. I mean, th- those guys were past it, right? They, and they weren't able to adapt in the way that, that the, that, that others were, um, which I think is, you know, it's, it's a, it's always a fascinating debate. You are a hundred percent correct. And it's a debate I would love to have. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's, I guess, a sign of a good sign, a sign that the, the league is growing that way, having these debates. Now, Justin mentioned an Olympico goal. There was an Olympico scored in Toronto last week by Fernando Bernadeschi, one of the vaunted Italian players that came over last summer. One one might put that down to talent, but another might put it down to also to the weather, given that the game was played at a late kickoff on Saturday night in late March, early April. It was below zero by the time the game finished. And this is partly owing to the Apple TV deal that has been signed for MLS, where kickoffs are now synchronized. And Charles, I want to get your thoughts on this, because it does seem like games in Canada, especially in Montreal and Toronto, have been left in the cold, literally. And there may not have been consideration given to the weather at this time of year in the north. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I, I think it's... um I mean, I'll say that I would do it differently. I, I totally, you know, having uh, having been to a, a very chilly MLS Cup at BMO Field, uh, I can totally understand why above a certain latitude, you just want to be playing in the daylight uh, whenever possible, right? All but maybe the, the warmest months. Uh, and I know culturally it seemed as though, you know, in both – I would say Toronto, maybe Montreal as well. There's a, a that's sort of a tradition around those clubs that you know you get out under the the early spring sunshine and it's a, it's a better experience for all. I, I you know and but there's a as clearly a real focus was was paid in terms of setting up the broadcast structure in this brave new world of the Apple deal to create more predictability and regularity to allow for something resembling destination viewing. That might not be the right terminology, but from what I understand, 7.30 p.m. local time kickoffs are the sort of desired norm. And uh, and there's some exceptions that have been made for like the, you know, the Fox simulcasts. And, um, I you know, I, I think it's 
I think maybe, you know, on the one hand, you have, you have, I think MLS people want to defer to the entertainment knowledge and the programming and sort of television mindset and that, that sort of intellectual capital that Apple brings to the table in this deal. But I also think there will be a, there'll be a learning in the other direction as well. And I think you're already, you're seeing it to some extent in real time in the way some of the games are produced and, and the way that sort of the, the actual product itself in terms of the, the television angles and the sound and they're, they're sort of tweaking that week by week, right? Cause I think Apple, Apple is learning how to broadcast soccer, right? And, and I think a big part of this whole deal is that they want to grow their capacity for, for the sports world in general and, and sort of use, use the MLS deal to cut their teeth and, and maybe go and hunt even bigger fish in the years ahead in terms of, uh, you know, broadcasting rights they can go and, and, and get eventually. Uh, I hope that, that it evolves. I mean, Taylor Twelman, I think, has banged this drum as much as anyone uh, uh, in terms of talking about uh, multiple times on broadcast and on Twitter about, uh, what was it, 60-something different start times uh, in, across MLS calendar last year in terms of kickoff and time and day and everything. For me, maybe it's just that I'm a, I'm an MLS junkie by, by virtue of, of watching so many games from my work, right? That, um, I love being able to, to catch a 10 p.m. Eastern game on the West Coast, you know, on a Sunday night. And, and, and well, I'm trying to watch as many games as I can for the different sort of things I write about. And I prefer less overlap, right? I prefer to have those Wednesday games and a random Tuesday thrown in and those Friday night games that, that, um, were initially sort of a broadcast push going back a few years now when they were trying to make, um, Viernes de Football, uh, a trad- uh, sort of a destination for the Spanish speaking broadcasts. So all that stuff is to me is like, is great. Like it's fun to be able to sit down and watch a succession of games, right? I mean, it, back the last few years, you were able to, watch, you know, your, uh, your morning and early afternoon European games. And then you could almost segue straight into, uh, a, a full calendar and, and watch like 12, 16 hours of, of footy because the, the afternoon games would, you would kick on and call and up and up north. And then you would have the seven thirty times and then the late times. And, uh, and it was, you could just gorge yourself. You know, I, I like that, but clearly they, they have, uh, they have research and demographics and data that are telling them that, that they need to make this easier to tune in and, and cultivate those audiences. So, uh, we'll see, man. We'll see what, what happens in the months and years ahead, but I certainly am sympathetic because I'd much rather be out there at, um, 20 Celsius under the sunshine than at zero Celsius after dark. Tell me about it. And I believe it's still wintry conditions out in Montreal, even as we speak. So definitely, uh, il fait froid. Did I say it right, Justin? You speak French. Oui, c'est il fait froid. Mm-hmm. Now, Justin, you also use Apple, so um, you must be a fan of this new deal. I mean, I don't use Apple TV. Uh, however, I use everything else, Apple-related products. I'm okay with the deal in the sense that if I do switch over to Apple TV and become an Apple full-on junkie, I either have the wherewithal to catch every MLS game and as opposed to the zone where it was like, yeah, you can watch every game except for Canadian games. You can only watch reruns of those. So I don't know what the deal with the zone was for that. That was very, very weird contract. But I, I think it was a TSN because TSN had the, I guess the primary rights. So it was kind of like a blackout situation. You know, like, yeah. you know, like the old days with how games would be blacked out and you had to watch it on two hours delay. Kind of like yeah, that. I hated that. So I'm excited that there's no blackouts. That's great. But um, I mean, there again, also Ted Lasso's a thing, and I love watching that show illegally, but also watch it on Apple TV when you can. <laughs> you, you watch Ted Lasso, Charles? 
Yeah, I haven't started the new season yet. Uh, but actually, it, it, interestingly enough, my wife, who is through osmosis uh, being with me for a long time, uh, learned about about soccer, but isn't necessarily a soccer person herself. Um, she and I got into it together because it is really only sort of kind of sort of a show about football, right? I mean, it's, it is, but it's, it's deeper than that. And it's bigger than that. And that's, I think why it's been the success that it has been. So yeah, I'm, I was charmed by it sort of almost from a position of reluctance. There we go. You, uh, you kind of dragged into it with a, with a gentle hand. <laughs> it's a, it, it's very, it's very compelling. It's very beguiling, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And something else that's going to be beguiling this summer is the, the upcoming matches featuring the U.S. men's national team, L3, and the Can- Canadian men's national team, first off in the Canadian, in the CONCACAF Nations League finals, and then heading over to the Gold Cup later in the summer. So I've got to ask, as an American writer, what are your thoughts on the Canadian team? We saw them at the World Cup. We saw them in qualifying in the lead up to it. Are they being taken more seriously nowadays, or this is it still all about uh, dos esero, the U.S. against Mexico? Oh, I mean, I, on the one hand, I, I think there's uh, the Canada T is in a really interesting position right now because they've turned some heads. Anybody who's paying attention um, has watched the steady growth, uh, you know. And I, I think Herdman gets some, but not all the credit. I mean, he jumped on at the right time, but has certainly been influential. And the culture shift that's gone on and this sort of confluence of that with the – I hate to use the term golden generation, but something like that, you know, a, a, a glittering generation at least, right, of, of incredible surge of, of talent across the board uh, coming together well. And I – but there's also still the uh, a little bit of a – I don't – maybe inferiority complex isn't fair or isn't the best term. But, you know, there's there's – I think it's a double-edged sword. There's a hunger – uh, on the part of the Canadian program and, and the, the culture around it and the community around it to to sort of announce and, and be acknowledged as having arrived. And I think on the pitch, you could say, yes, right? If, if any of the three, the big three North American nations played tomorrow, you know, it'd be, it'd be tough to decide who, who would be the favorite. I mean, I think pound for pound, they can match up with anyone, but it's still, still fresh and new, right? And, and I, you know, some of us south of the border chuckled a bit when, uh, uh, I think it was the the, the federation um, was using the, uh, the the final table of of the of the octagonal World Cup qualifying cycle to to call themselves Concacaf champions, right? Which was um, which was on the one hand you can make you know maybe you're right, but that's not a, there's not actually a trophy for that, and, and technically speaking, the U.S. owns the two you know continental titles uh, of of note. But for sure, I mean, this is the summer. This is the time, and uh, I thought it was fascinating to hear. Um, uh, was it Laren? Uh, I think who was who said, you know, we're the big boys now. The other day uh, on the stand up uh, after the Nations League game, and uh, and so I think he, he, the confidence is high, the the level is high, the expectations should, I'm sure, are growing. They certainly certainly should be growing among the fan base. But qualifying can be its own beast, and and now they have to go and do it in a neutral setting. And I, I put neutral in quotations a bit because I know these Nations League uh, semifinals and final will be on U.S. soil, um, but they will be uh, – any game that Mexico is involved in will be a pro-Mexico crowd in Las Vegas. Mm. So, you know, that's another that's another degree of difficulty, I think you could argue, compared to um, 
you know, freezing out Mexico and the U.S. and Hamilton and uh, and Edmonton. I think it was right when they, <laughs> yeah. they played El Tri. I mean, fair play for that. But but now it's like you know, it's, you know, the next step I think is is doing it in these big tournaments um, where there's an actual trophy uh, on the line. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if they uh, they get the the Vegas flu, as it were. <laughs> the good old Vegas flu. I mean, also there's um, I mean. I think I know what the Vegas flu kind of refers to, keeping a PC, but uh, they could also be venturing out to other things, which was a huge issue in the NHL for a while. By a while, I mean like a year, but moving forward. <laughs> so, Nee and I were fortunate enough to actually go to the Honduras-Canada game in BMO Field. Uh, Pro Sports Podcasters got a credibility to go, and it was awesome for us. But we got to watch and listen to a lot of Canadian players speak about what this means to them and the steps and bounds that they've all taken as a club, as a country. Where do you feel like the ceiling is for Team Canada? I mean, there really isn't one when you look at it. I mean, other than maybe, I guess, arguably CONCACAF membership inevitably imposes a certain ceiling, right? Because you can't escape your region until and unless we get to that much debated, long-awaited Fever dream of of, of a full on merger with Conmebol, right? And you have a a United Americas that's going through qualifying together and playing Copa Americas regularly together. I mean that that's that's the only way to uh, escape the sort of geographic limitations. Um, I think at, at the risk of sounding like a downer, but but in terms of you know coming in and announcing yourself and and really being part of the mix and breaking up the duopoly of US Mexico in CONCACAF it, this is the time and there's no reason they can't do that i think uh you know you have several i can think of at least two uh, maybe more than two uh, of, of canadian players rank in the you know top 5 top 10 in terms of individual players individual talents uh, more and more of those guys have now built experiences collectively as a group and then individual experiences in high-level environments. And it seems as though there will be further waves. Now, you know, maybe not every generation of, of kids coming through is going to be, you know, going to have a Davies and a David in it. But the infrastructure has improved dramatically between the MLS academies, the CPL teams, and the overall sort of, I think, strengthening of the, the, the player development pathways. Uh, I see no reason why they can't sort of replenish the status quo in the long term. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see why they would stop here, you know. And and now that the you have one, you have a, a tournament hosted, co-hosted on home soil in three years time, and then and then after that, you know, for better and for worse, the the qualification process should be an afterthought for, for the big three nations. And so, you know, you can start to think about being a perennial World Cup competitor, and and I think that was. You know, that was uh, very distant for a long time for Canada. I do agree it was. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. SoRare is a game that you can play this season and the next and the next and the next. It's almost like a a dynasty spin on fantasy is available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the world game. So what are you waiting for? Get involved, get in the game, get some cards, and have some fun. Oh, did I tell you it's free, by the way? Yes. You just sign up, 
create an account and then you can start playing and if you want to go a little bit harder and purchase some limited rare or unique cards you can do that too but at a base level this is really just a free fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports because process podcasters we know our thing but so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room so hit the link in the show notes and we'll see you on so rare own your game i'm also glad you brought up the cpl um how do you feel like that is faring in terms of putting Canada on the, I don't want to say international market for players to attend, but essentially kind of giving us our own a little more respect? Like, oh yeah, like they have their own league; they're not just joined with America. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a little uh, the one area where th- there's where I I guess I feel more American because I, I ha- having come up in MLS as a journalist and like considering the you know Canada and the US are sort of linked in a ways it's almost like twins in, in terms of their soccer story together even though there are there are unique aspects to both nations and their soccer cultures but I never really f- felt the need to, to draw a line and I always have enjoyed the presence of the Canadian teams you know in MLS and in other leagues in past years but I see definitely there's this fierce sort of nationalistic thread that runs through a lot of uh, Canadian soccer folks, and and I can understand it because of the, you know, the the perceptions of being the cousin or you know the the redheaded stepchild or what have you. <laughs> so I understand that you know the, that certainly seems to have fueled the drive to create CPL. I, I mean, I think you could you could easily have um, something like what the CPL is doing in a league that cross borders, right? If it was a, a USL. You know, if USL sort of continue that push, but but again, the, you know, there's also challenges to that. I know when you look at the the currency and the climate and all the difficulties that any team has, then it's when it's crossing the border. You know, the one thing is that, and we're learning now, right? I, I think there's a little bit of um, I don't know what to call it, a reality check or or a sobering realities are coming along in terms of the Canadian soccer business arrangement and uh, the women's national team in particular sort of calling that out. I, I watched some of the, the hearings that happened last week with regards to that and uh, the equal pay question. You know, every bit of infrastructure, like it's like a more money, more problem situation, right? So, you know, C- CPL was a godsend in certain ways and, and Canadian soccer business brought a lot of useful developments to the table. But then there's, there's a downside to it, it turns out as well. And you're, you're still fundamentally trusting a group of Rich people, mostly rich men, right? Um, who who have promised to invest and promised to to support this thing and make sure that it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and then you know that's that's a reality that that is uh, sort of been baked into the U.S. model as well. I think, and and I don't know how you escape that in terms of like North American sports. They're all they all rely on a millionaire or billionaire at the top of things who's writing the checks and inevitably influences things right for better and for worse mm. you are 100 correct i definitely agree with that for better or for worse for richer or for poorer for success or for lean periods mm. these are the times of a uh, modern sports ownership well let me ask you guys something if you don't mind i mean i was i recently did a story about what stephanie labay is doing with vancouver whitecaps and and you know getting they've already they've promised to, to field a fully professional women's team in this new Project 8, right? And and um, 
so I, I, I kind of caught up a little bit on what had been happening north of the border with, you know, Diana Matheson's work and uh, a number of influential and respected people, you know, helping to get this or seeking to get this project off the ground. And then it turns out there's another possibly CPL affiliated sort of women's concept, women's league concept out there. And it's not entirely certain whether everyone's going to be on the same page. And I was looking at it going, wow, I mean, what I hope that that there's um, a common purpose in the end, in that process, right? Because I think the, the women's game is ripe for a Canadian league just the way that, that this, the, the circumstances became uh, ripe for, for CPL. Um, but I'm hoping that it doesn't get bogged down in, you know, politics and internecine conflicts, you know? I'm, I'm curious as to what y'all's angle on that is. I'll let Justin go first. I've, I've got a couple of thoughts, but I'll let Justin open. Yeah, all right. So... There's so many thoughts that kind of go through my mind regarding this. And number one, it's kind of the whole – I don't know how to word this without sounding like, like – just, just say it, bro. Safe space. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a safe space though because this is recorded. And like I don't know if this is going to make it into the, into the, to the podcast, which is what I'm kind of worried about. <laughs> so my professional answer is I am glad that we are seeing changes done and that everything is coming to light and that I want to see more development happening. Knee, get non – political please oh yeah you, you know i'm gonna you know you know i love not holding back on this one so charles when diana and stephanie announced the genesis of the project date the esteemed folks that, who are now departed from canada soccer came out and said it was a statement that was a non-statement they said we like your idea we're not going to ratify it though so when you mention now that the, there's a potential i guess you'd say rival or alternative bid with C with CPL involvement because I believe CPL is, has ratification and alignment from Canada Soccer, it does lead me to believe that this is counterproductive in a way. But at the same time, the headline is the Olympic champions don't have a league in their own country. That's the headline, so that needs to be addressed straight away because that's been going on for too long. That players have been going off to Europe, they're going off to America because they simply can't play at home once their college days are done. Where do they play? So I hope the new regime at Canada Soccer can, I guess, get out of their own way because Project 8 does have significant sponsorship already. There are, there's a, a significant bank. There's other organizations that are willing to put funds into Project 8. Hopefully, the powers that be can just get behind it and give it a go and let's just get on with it. That, although two leagues wouldn't be a bad thing. Because you need a big player pool. You need you need that pathway from college to the national team. You need that bridge that's local that gives players a chance to stay home if they don't want to go to Europe, if they don't want to go down south. But if there is an alternative league, it has to be coming from the right place. It can't be just because, well, they thought of the idea. It's not our idea, so we're going to come up with an alternative. Does that make sense, Charles? Yeah, yeah. And I, what, what concerns me is that I see um, – Possible elements of a, a hallowed and, and extremely self-destructive tradition in American soccer, which is at all levels from the youth on up, the sort of Wild West capitalism that is the, you know, the, the norm in all things in the United States crops up in for, for the last century with, with soccer and, and someone takes their ball and goes home, you know, rather than make compromises or learn to coexist with someone in a league structure they you go and do their own, your own thing right if if you if you're uh 
if you're a pissed off parent uh, on a U14 soccer, uh, youth soccer team, and you don't like the coach or you don't like something the club does, you can, you go and find your own coach or your own club or start your own thing. And it's led to this just uh, alphabet soup and, and this chaotic sort of um, competitive – you can say it's competitive environment, but it's also a lot of – wasteful you know situations of mm-hmm. um reinventing the wheel and and uh the ECNL club has to go down the street 100 miles to to play another ECNL club instead of playing the uh US youth soccer national league club just around the corner because well you know our league is better and we have to show it and you know this all this kind of stuff and it hasn't it hasn't gotten us very far it's, it it can lead to a lot of wasted money and even in the pro level if you look at the way that USL and NASL the NASL V2 squabbled over uh some of the same markets and there's still this sort of places where you have multiple professional clubs in one small relatively small city rather than everyone you know uniting and and uh and and making some compromises you know so i think that's that there's dynamic uh potential for dynamic competition but there's also potential for just um lighting money on fire and, and, uh, and not getting things done, you know, not, not progressing. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, again, leadership is so key, right. And, um, I'm hopeful that the Canada soccer, I don't know, let's just say finds good leadership. There we go. I mean, they did release a new kit for the women. So that's a start because <laughs> they didn't release one for mm. the men last year, well, which was a missed marketing opportunity. But anyway, <sighs> incredible own goal there. I was just like, Oh, so sad. <laughs> Missed opportunity. But, you know, maybe in, maybe for 26, they'll, they'll have it together. Oh, they better. I mean, they, they are hosting it. It's kind of a big deal. This is the one. Yeah, this is the one. <laughs> you may have heard about it, Justin, but yeah. <laughs> hey, Dubs. Something's happening? Some, some World Cup thing? I don't know. I don't really pay attention to the sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, before that, we have the, the women's edition in Australia, New Zealand. Charles, will you be there this summer? I would love to be there. Uh, as of this moment, I will not be there. Uh, I, have, I have, do not have a, uh, uh, a work opportunity at this time. I suppose that could change, but um, it's been difficult. The the the, um, the last two World Cups, I you know, or sorry, not last two. I, I got to cover um, the twenty fourteen and twenty twenty two World Cups in person, and those are you know that's a dream come true, right? It's in, it's a bucket list sort of situation to have those experiences. But then having a women's World Cup follow hard on after it, <laughs> it, it makes it, it it can be a heavy lift uh, from a freelance perspective in terms of like making it happen. You know, I mean, I, I, for example, in Qatar, I, I kind of had to um, had to hustle a little bit and, and find a couple of different um, clients to to make the trip happen. And, and um, it's like it's daunting to sort of try and go through that all over again on the women's side. So I, I hope I hope I'm fortunate and something comes together. But um, but as you mentioned, um, there's Plenty of men's soccer uh, just around the corner here this summer. So, so I'm, at the moment, it looks like that's where I'll be. Absolutely. And it, you mentioned a term that piqued my interest. You mentioned the, the angry parent. So, that immediately takes me back to the U.S. men's national team in the World Cup last year. Do we know who's going to manage the team going forward? <laughs> the short answer is very much no. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, this is a mystery that will unfold and very, well, it sometimes feels very gradually. Um, actually, Anthony Hudson, who um, is the interim head coach of the USMNT, uh, under some of the strangest circumstances you're ever likely to come across, um, it, it's it's actually kind of surreal. I, I think he's a good guy. He's he's a good coach, but um, it's one of those um, 
situations no one could have ever imagined because this is a guy who, you know, had managed New Zealand. He, he managed uh, a couple of other, you know, decent teams, um, but had kind of flopped uh, when he came to the States and managed Colorado Rapids. I think he, I think it was a year and a half or thereabouts. And um, statistically was, was really very, very unsuccessful and sort of landed, eventually landed in the U.S. youth national team system and then, and then clearly hit it off and made a good impression with Greg Berhalter and joined his staff, um, in the, in midway through the, um, the 2022 cycle. And now here he finds himself running the program indefinitely. He actually spoke to media yesterday because they're promoting a U.S. Mexico friendly that's happening on the 19th, um, outside of FIFA windows. Um, but they're calling it the Continental Classico. And perhaps there's a, there's probably a snub in there to Canada if you wanted to, if you wanted to dig one up, I guess. But, mm-hmm. but the, uh, US Mexico, uh, they, they squeeze those in anywhere they can, right? Those, that's, that's big business, uh, even in a meaningless friendly. Anyway, he and, and Diego Coca, the, the El Tree coach were speaking to me yesterday and, and he let slip that he's, uh, got a contract till August. So at the moment, they don't expect to have the sporting director hired until, the, the weeks and months, you know, leading up to the Women's World Cup. They want to have that person in place by, by the Women's World Cup. And then that person will lead the search for the, the manage, manager of the national team. So uh, it seems as though th- these two trophies at the USMNT are defending this summer will, will have Anthony Hudson at the helm. And, um, he's sort of, uh, had this thing land in his lap after this incredibly bizarre, really surreal controversy that I, I don't think even a Hollywood writer probably would have gotten their script sent back if they'd served up something like the Raina Berhalter uh, kerfuffle. But, uh, you know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And I think we're going to – everyone's involved is trying to move on. But I think we're going to be sort of picking through that wreckage and and uh, and marinating on it for, for months and maybe years to come. All right. We will watch this space. Yes, we will. I mean – I kind of find it funny that you mentioned there'd be a, a potential joking, maybe snub with the uh, El Clasico and not having Canada in there. Do you feel like at some point when Canada becomes a bit of a more recognized big dog, they themselves will have a Clasico? Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a fun question, right? Because the it takes two to tango, and but but three is a very clunky dance pairing, right? So so you know how how do you horn into <laughs> this really well established? U.S. Mexico rivalry that has so many factors that have that have sort of aligned, right? You have um, you have them being the the big dogs of the region for the last quarter century or more. You also have the what I would call an intertwined, uh, a, a devilishly complicated and intimate in, intertwined culture, both in terms of soccer and, and life, right? For, between the U.S. and Mexico, and and with the diaspora on one side and um, the the border controversies, the kind of the politic political aspect of it on the other. Um, there's something, there's something really primordial about that. I think in the minds of of the fans on both sides, and you know, I think when you just look at the game itself, I mean, the the the, the Canadian, the matches in, with the Canadian team have been fantastic, right? I mean, uh, I was at the game in Hamilton. That was an incredible spectacle. I was so felt so fortunate to to get to cover that one, right? The and then and then even if you loop in the women here, I mean, Canada and the U.S. women have had absolutely incredible knockdown, drag out, just hateful, <laughs> incredible matches. You know, the, the, probably the greatest of all being the the Olympic one in, in at Old Trafford. I think it was 2012. You know, so I think there the seeds are there, but it's like how do you 
how do you have a three-way rivalry? It's a bit, it's a bit tricky. So, um, so I think it's going to end up being, you know, whoever is the, the team of the moment, whoever earns a spot. And, and here, let's give a shout out to the Nations League. This is a much derided, uh, questioned, uh, idea or concept. And here now it actually sort of institutionalizes the closest thing we have to that because you have this final four, you have four group winners that all gather in the same, same place for a weekend and, and it gets decided on the field. You know, we, the, the, as much as CONCACAF for financial reasons wants the U.S. and Mexico to play in every final, that's not going to happen this year. And it's because Mm -hmm. of, it's because of results. And I think whether it's, uh, yeah, with respect to Panama, I I think Panama will be a tricky opponent for the Canamente, but expecting that, that, that everything goes chalk on that matchup. Whoever wins the U.S. Mexico semifinal, I mean, that the Canada versus either of those teams, I think is going to be a fantastic game. That was a very well worded answer and uh, took me on a bit of an emotional roller coaster. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just too long winded. Sorry, guys. That's no, all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Charles, I can't let you go without taking you back to your time in New Zealand. So, you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to play some rapid fire. So, oh, I God. don't know how much you recall of your time in NZ, but I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just give us a quick answer and it'll be fun. It'll be great. It'll be great. All right. All right. So, Auckland or Wellington? <sighs> That's like saying Vancouver or Toronto, isn't it? Well, or no, I, Montreal I, or Toronto. I, I ask the questions. You give the answers. That's how this, <laughs> we, this is a deal. Um, I spent a bit more time in Auckland, but I was really charmed by Wellington. So, I think I would probably, I would probably gravitate towards Wellington. All right, bro. Lemon and Perua or Steinlager? Steinlager. Got to be a Steiny. There we go. Pineapple lumps or Whitaker's chocolate? Ooh, I don't know. I can't speak to that. I can't speak to that with, with fresh, fresh expertise or memory. I haven't, I can't remember the taste. Gosh. Mm. I'm sorry. I've got to pass. All right. Very different. Very appropriate, given that you're in DC, that you've um, you filibustered <laughs> your way out of that one. <laughs> Last one: Flight of the Concords or Lord of the Rings? Oh man, that's a question of mood, isn't it? Um, I'm I'm a sucker for both, to be honest. Um, but <laughs> but given the the levity of the of the moment, let's let's say Concords. Okay, fair enough. Now, we're going to switch it up a little bit. So, I'm going to mention three three characters, three names, three artists, and you're going to tell me if they're from New Zealand. So, if I say that, you're just going to say, yes, they're from New Zealand, or you're going to say, no, they're not. Cool? All right. All right. So, Russell Crowe. I don't think I, – I, I don't like this one because it's not a yes or no because he's a hyphenated, but I'll say yes. All right. I'm going to give you the answers at the end. Crowded House. Dude. Yes. All right. And to finish off, a dish called pavlova. Ooh, no. No. That's a very wise answer. <laughs> very wise answer. So, to recap, so Russell Crowe was born in New Zealand, but after he won the Oscars, Australia claimed him because he lives in Sydney. That brain drain. It's the brain drain, man. Yeah. I think when he <laughs> throws phones around the hotel room, he goes back to being Kiwi, though, in the public eye. <laughs> Uh, crowded house. Now the Finn brothers are from, born in New Zealand, but again, 
they're Australian icon to claim by Australia. And the Pavlova, this is the most controversial one, but you, you answered it correctly because it's <clears throat> named after a Russian dancer. Mm. It's Australian, but Kiwis try to claim it. So I'm glad they didn't force that on you when you were there. And you can come back on the show <laughs> with that. I think I have a soft spot for Canadians because living in New Zealand, you, you, you know, New Zealand is the Canada to, to Australia's United States, you know? So I think te- temperamentally, I have a, I have a soft spot for for Kiwis and Canucks for that reason. More much more reserved, much more chill in general. Yes, it's actually very similar qualities. Very chill, very reserved, but the way they defend themselves. Both countries have never lost a war, by the way. And and there's that passive aggressive streak, right? Exactly. exactly. Like that Kiwis love to correct you about about someone that you think is Australian that is in fact a Kiwi. Yeah. They'll, even they'll if like- they even if they left when they were twelve or whatever. They'll twitch and then they'll say, nope, no, it's from New Zealand. <laughs> and they had this inner strength you see in the rugby field. And the same way that Canadians had this inner strength when they play ice hockey. It's like, well, they're polite, but you get too close and you invade their space. Boom. You're down for the yes. count. Yes. Indeed. So, Charles, where else can we follow you on social media apart from your Twitter, which we dropped at the top? Oh, um, I have an Insta. I think I. What am I? I think I'm Charles Boom Six. I'm much. I'm much less professional about my Insta. It tends to be more personal stuff. But of course, feel free to go check it out. I sometimes will try and put, uh, try and put a, uh, you know, interesting stuff on there that I come across in uh, in the soccer world. Let me see. Am I? I'm Charles Boehm, C H A R L E S B O E H M on Insta. Um, I have a Facebook, but no one needs to deal with that. That's that's a that's a hellscape. That, that I wouldn't send anyone to. So, um, so yeah, and then I guess, you know, Twitter's slow, agonizing tailspin is, uh, is, may eventually send me to, uh, to Mastodon or one of those other ones, but I haven't, haven't quite up, got, got up the gumption. I think I may, I think I may be a dead ender because, um, even when Twitter sucks, it's still Twitter. It's still interesting, you know, so it has, I haven't, haven't quite, quite gotten, uh, detached from it yet, but that's, that's the first spot. I try to get all my stuff posted on there. As a as a central point. There we go. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience before I let you go? Uh, no, it's a, a pleasure chopping it up with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, again, I feel I, I feel like my, my uh, I had a I had to go to the dentist today. I had sort of a stressful day as a result. Hanging with some some uh, you chill gents has definitely put me in a better frame of mind. So thanks thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Indeed. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.